0: So, really fitting today, we have, in both of our readings at today's Mass, the Church speaks to us of John the Baptist. Uh, in Advent, really, every Advent, we, it focuses so much on two people, and all the readings every year the Church gives us, Balthazar says that Advent is like passing through this giant gateway, if you've ever gone through a giant gate, he says that's Advent, right? Advent is about the coming of Christ, and it's about Him really coming into our world. And so if you imagine a giant gate, but he says that that gate on either side are giant statues with two figures carved, carved there. Uh, one of them is the Blessed Virgin, and the other is John the Baptist. Uh, And those are the two figures, right, that stand at the gateway to the new covenant. And that is no accident. That is no accident. That's very intentional. Um, And so today the church gives us John the Baptist, and we'll talk a little bit about why John is the one who prepares the way. And uh, Dr. Silner, right, talking a lot uh, this morning our first conference about receptivity, openness, right? Having that space inside of you that's open for God. And John the Baptist is this voice crying out. I love that. I've always thought as Catholics, when we come to Mass, it's hard for us to listen, right? We have such a visual culture today, but John the Baptist isn't the voice of one crying out in the wilderness right he's he is crying out right prepare the way of the lord make straight his path there's a um there's an author i like a lot he's also a translator he's a monk in massachusetts uh, he's got is i don't know if i pronounce his name right it's Erasmo Leva Maricakis, which is like the coolest name ever, (laughs) right? And Marikakis, he he has a three-volume commentary on Matthew, which each of them are about 600 pages or so, and he didn't even finish. I'm waiting for volume four because he ends just before the Last Supper. But at the very beginning, his very first... uh, page of the actual commentary, he has this beautiful line, and he says this. He says, every truly new word, every truly new word comes from the desert. I love that line. I don't know why I'm like feeling the emotion of that, but it's so powerful. And when he talks about, he's talking about John the Baptist. Every new word in our life has to come from the desert. Because the desert is the place, he says, where nothing pretends to be what it is not. Where all the illusions, right, all the things in our life that are illusory are stripped bare. The desert is a place of seeing. Because all the noise that drowns out depth and wisdom and the voice of God, in the desert, it's stripped away. And so, Merikakis, when he comments on the beginnings of the gospel, he says, every truly new word comes from the desert. Because it's only in the desert that you and I listen. Here's the, the, the word I, I hope I have for you. I hope it's actually not from me. I hope it's from, from God. But I'm scared of the desert. I just am. I'm just scared of the desert. Uh, so every year, priests are required to go on silent retreat, right? Silence goes with the desert. Because no one lives there. Because the, the words of man, right, don't belong there. Silence is is fitting in the desert. And that's partially, I think, why my favorite place on Earth probably is Crestone uh, down in the San Luis Valley. And it's the place I go for retreat every year. And it's fitting because Crestone is in a high desert. The San Luis Valley is the largest uh, high-altitude valley in the world. And Crestone's kind of a uh, crazy place. If you go there, you know, don't don't expect it to be like this really beautiful catholic kind of oasis. It's not. Um Father Geranski used to call Crest he always said Crestone is um a town of 100 hippies still living the dream. <laughs> and it is. <laughs> But there's this little Catholic hermitage there that's probably going to disappear uh, within the next year. But it's a magical place, and it is the desert. And whenever I go there, I'm always scared to go. I never want to go. Whenever my retreat comes, I know I need it. Every year, I know I need retreat, and I know that I'm worn thin, and I know that I have too much noise in my life. But I'm scared of the desert. And in many ways, it's because in the desert, I have to face myself. I have to go there and I have to face myself. And I have to face my sin and I have to face the ways that I just haven't really been the priest I'm called to be. But every time I go to the desert, I always ask why I'm scared. Right, because I come back and I say, I remember what life's about again. <laughs> and all of my anxieties, right, everything about this place, and I love Lord's, you know that. I think Lord's probably is the best place on earth. And, and that's totally unbiased. But but whenever I, I go to Crestone, I remember what my life is about. And I, all of us know, right, you know back in the back of your mind, you're a good Catholic. You know in your heart and your soul and your mind, you know that your life's not about emptying your inbox or your bank account size or the perceptions other people have about you. You know that, but not really. Because <laughs> you don't really believe it when you live in the world. And when you go to the desert... It, it's so painfully obvious that you were not created for that. Right? Every truly new word comes from the desert. Because in the desert, nothing lies to you. Right? Nothing in the desert pretends to be what it is not. John the Baptist begins the gospel... Right? And in Luke chapter 1, after John the Baptist is born at the visitation, right, Mary goes and she visits Elizabeth. And when she leaves, it says that John grew up and he was in the desert until the day of his manifestation to Israel. That is no accident. Because there, there is a new word that is coming to Israel. And that word is not John. right? Jesus is the word. But for that word to come, Israel needs to go to the desert, just like she did in the Exodus. And we'll get there in a second. Can you, this is going to be longer than a daily mass homily. already is. <laughs> but John has to go to the desert. Every new word comes from the desert. Israel... Right has become enamored by herself and she has lived worldly things and it's fitting for John to go to the desert because Israel must be stripped and she has to enter into silence if she is to receive the word. Augustine, when he talks about that line in Matthew chapter 3 and Mark chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3, when John the Baptist says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Augustine has this marvelous sermon where he says, John is the voice, but Jesus is the word. And all we can be are voices. But when a voice speaks to you, the word can remain. And so John, in... John the Baptist in John 3.33, I think it is, or 3.31. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. All right, and then there's this theme again, this, this emptiness. Okay, I didn't think I was going to preach about any of that. But here's what I really want to say to you today. The, the, the early Christians, the church fathers believed that Every Christian life relives salvation history. Right? Every Christian life relives salvation history. If you're going to be a Christian, you must, live, you must relive the story of Israel, which is the story of Jesus. And that story has to be relived in your life. And the truth is, is that all of us are scared of the desert. But to be a Christian means you have to go into the desert. You have to live the exodus. You have to. And then Scripture, Egypt, after the exodus story, Egypt, for the entire rest of the story of salvation, Egypt is a symbol of the world. And when we, you and I live in the world, we become slaves. Right? The Jews are slaves in Egypt, and the world is the place of slavery. Right? And I, when I live in the world, as I do far too much, I become a slave. Right? And I obey my lust and my vanity and my pride and my egoism, my jealousies, my fears. I'm, I am a slave to those things. What happens right the the story of Israel is that when the savior redeems you the lamb of god who is slain on passover he calls you to the desert and if you're going to be a christian you have to leave egypt and you have to go to the desert and you won't want to go <laughs> And Egypt, or the Israelites don't want to go. They, at first they do, right? At first they're like, okay, cool. I want to get rid of my slaveries. I don't want to be a slave in Egypt anymore. And that sounds good. And then in Exodus 12 is the Passover lamb, and Exodus 14 is the Red Sea, and you're like, all right, this is pretty cool. Right? God has cast down my enemies before me, and he has freed me from my bondage. And that's all good and fine, until Exodus 16, when you run out of food. And this is one of my favorite moments in all of Scripture. Is that in Exodus 16 is, when, is, the, is the chapter in the Bible where the manna from heaven falls. That's chapter 16 of Exodus. And you wonder, why wasn't it in, in chapter 13? Because in 13, they've already left Egypt. Egypt. Pharaoh's going to chase after them and, and send his armies, but they've already left, so it's like, okay, why hasn't God sent the manna yet? And it's because they haven't run out of the food of Egypt. I, th- I think that's one of the most profound things in the entire Scripture. You will never hunger for the, the bread from heaven if you're still eating the food of Egypt, right? You cannot eat the food of Egypt and taste the bread of angels. You have to be made hungry. You have to go to the desert first. God does not give the Eucharist. He does not give the bread from heaven as long as you and I are in Egypt, And I think that's what today is about. That's what Advent's about, right? The word of God that comes to us in the bread from heaven, right? The Son of God, Jesus. It is only fitting for him to enter your life when you've been emptied, right? When you no longer are eating the food from Egypt. So one more quote today. And one of my, all of my authors are a little controversial. I don't know if you know that. But my favorite authors tend to be a little controversial. So one of my favorites is Origen. And Origen said some foolish things. He definitely did. But he says some profoundly beautiful things. Profoundly beautiful. And here's what he says about everything we've been talking about in this homily. I'm never going to get a tattoo, but I don't think. But this, this could be a, a contender. This could be a contender. Origin says, do not be afraid of the loneliness of the desert. Amen. I am, though. And ultimately, that's what it's about. I'm not just scared that God won't feed me, I'm scared of the loneliness of the desert. Do not be afraid of the loneliness of the desert. For when you live in tents of this kind, right, in, in Israel in the Exodus has to live in tents, you have to give up your house, and you have to give up your food and you have to go into the loneliness of the desert, and you're going to live in a tent. Do not be afraid of the loneliness of the desert, for when you live in tents of this kind, the manna from heaven will come, and you will eat the bread of angels. Just get started, and do not, as we have said, Let the loneliness of the desert frighten you. Amen.